0: Thank mm-hmm. you. was fun. (laughs) Welcome. It's a joy to have you all seven campuses. A few weeks ago, Laura surprised me with a day trip to New York City. Um, I've always dreamed of hopping on a train, uh, going up to Carnegie Deli, eating a sandwich and getting on a train and coming back home. And so uh, sabbatical was an opportunity to do that. Um, Took the train into Penn Station, got out Uh, As I approached Times Square, I became like a Pavlovian dog, started salivating as we approached Carnegie Deli. I could taste it. Um, We got there. We posed outside for the obligatory Instagram and then walked up to the door to discover a sign that said, closed. Uh, Not since Clark Griswold drove across the country to Wally World with his family has someone been so disappointed uh, for something to be closed. Moose outside should have told you. Honestly, that has nothing to do with my message tonight, but uh, thanks for letting me process. Um, So instead of eating at Carnegie Deli, uh, we hopped over to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I had read a book this summer by the former director, Thomas Hubbing, and Hubbing had played a little game with his staff called the Curator's Game, the Curator's Game. Uh, the key to art curation is an eye for detail. Uh, so every week he would take uh, a small photograph of one of the pieces of art, and based on that visual cue, uh, the staff would have to guess what piece of art uh, it was from. Now, let's have a little bit of fun with this. Uh, throw up a picture of a window on the, on the screen. And uh, you may or may not recognize it, but you'll probably recognize the couple that is posing uh, in front of it. Uh, it is American Gothic by Grant Wood. Uh, if you got that, you're probably going to heaven. Um, that's impressive. Uh, so so this weekend, we begin a new series called The Moral of the Story. There are three dozen parables in the Gospels, depending on who's counting. Uh, now, most of them, less than 250 words, but they are full of amazing They're brilliant stories told by the word, the wordsmith, uh, Jesus himself. And and I want you to think of them as word paintings. Uh, Each of those parables is intricately nuanced, kind of like any one of the masterpieces at uh, the Met. And so over the next seven weeks, uh, we're going to play the curator's game Uh, if you will. And if you have a Bible, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 7. We'll get there uh, in just a moment. Uh, Let me just say, uh, it's good to be back. Um, I feel like uh, I should introduce myself to some of you if you're new to NCC this summer. Um, You were gracious enough after 19 years of uh, leading this church to say, why don't you take Uh, three months off, and so uh, it was wonderful. I I hardly set my alarm clock, um, which was new. Uh, Did a lot of reading, uh, had a few adventures. I'm sure I'll tell you about about some of them. One of them, uh, Josiah and I, my youngest son, we uh, rafted the Colorado River five days. Uh, The lowest high temperature was 107 degrees, Uh, But the river's 47 degrees, so you can kind of cool off pretty quick. Uh, And then we got to the Grand Canyon. We hiked out uh, the Bright Angel Trail up to the south rim. It was epic. And so uh, I want to say thank you to you uh, and thank you to our staff. We have an all-star team. We did not skip a beat Um, Special thanks to our campus pastors. In fact, could we just give it up for all of our campus pastors? Um, You know, I I think I come back with with a renewed uh, appreciation for a couple of things. One, um, man, it it takes a team to accomplish a dream. And so from our kids' ministry to to worship, discipleship, uh, administration, facilities, uh, media, production, Uh, So grateful for our team and and for our volunteers. It takes hundreds of people to to pull off every weekend at NCC. And so um, a renewed appreciation for that. And I think a renewed appreciation, unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. Amen. Um, So thank God for what he's doing. Uh, Humble, grateful. Thank you. It's good uh, to be back. Here we go. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Now, did you notice something there? I skipped something, didn't I? Missed something. I I think sometimes we just kind of read right over uh, the most significant part here, three little words, uh, and, and does them. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew uh, our daughter, Summer, off for a freshman year of college at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. And like every parent of college kids, we uh, took a little trip to Target. And uh, we picked up some things for her dorm room. A shelf. A simplest shelf in the store. One shelf, eight screws. And I screwed it up. Um... <laughs> I constructed it, deconstructed it, and then reconstructed it twice. Um, So it's a little ironic this weekend to be preaching on the parable of the wise builder. I have never been accused of being a builder, let alone a wise builder. But this parable isn't really about building a house. It's about building a life. And uh, you know what? Life is a little bit like that uh, shelf Project. There's a lot of construction, but you know what? My hunch is this weekend, there are some of you who are a little bit of deconstruction, maybe a little, little gut job needs to happen emotionally or spiritually. And, and then reconstruction, you know what? Some of you are, are rebuilding a marriage or rebuilding a reputation. And so um, it really is all of those things, everything in between. And so let's talk about this parable this weekend. Verse 25 says, he built his house on the rock. Now Luke's version says uh, he dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. Uh, I love the skyline of New York City, uh, but what fascinates me even more is the city beneath the city. Uh, there are now uh, 6,000 miles of sewers that run beneath New York York City, uh, circulating 1.3 billion uh, gallons of wastewater. Uh, There are 9,000 manhole covers in the city, and they service those sewers along with uh, 92,000 miles of utilities, including the gas line that goes into Carnegie Deli, which is why we couldn't eat there. Now there's 722 miles of subway tracks beneath the city. Built about 100 years ago. Uh, If they were laid end-to-end, they would stretch from New York to Chicago. Now, when they first opened, it was quite the fascination for New Yorkers. In fact, uh, subway explorers would actually go in and and walk down the tracks, and the trains were pretty slow moving so they could uh, jump out of the way um, when they came. And they were called Dodgers, which is where the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, got their their name. And so there's the skyline of New York, and then there's the city beneath the city. Uh, But then beneath the city, beneath the city, that's the key, because that's where the rock is. Now, it has a name. It's called Manhattan Schist. Uh, It's the rock that everything in that city is built on, and it's pretty critical. Now, in some places, bedrock is pretty close to street level. Rockefeller Center. They got pretty lucky because uh, the Manhattan schist pretty close to the surface. But uh, the Woolworth Building, which was the tallest building in the world until 1930, uh, they had to dig down 120 feet to hit bedrock, and once they did, they had to sink 69 concrete pillars into the ground. One way or another, uh, here's my point. The the above ground city is really just a mirror, if you will, of the subterranean topography. Uh, No matter what you're building, you got to find bedrock. Uh, Now, we're in that process right now with the Blue Castle, believe it or not. Uh, We have geotechnical engineers who are using... Ground penetration radar uh, to help us figure out like what's beneath uh, the surface of the blue castle. We've got to do that work before we try building uh, anything on it. Now stick with me for one more minute. In 1865, uh, a civil engineer named Egbert Veeley was actually a civil servant, too, served in Congress. Uh, he published a topographical map. Of the uh, island of Manhattan and and he superimposed the location of all the streams, all the waterways, uh, with a grid of the city streets. Um, now engineers continue to uh, Reference that 1865 map as the key to building. Uh, well, not everybody, because when Chase Manhattan Plaza was built, uh, the chief engineer did not look at Vealey's map. Uh, if he had, he would have known that uh, in 1865, a stream ran uh, right over where they were digging and uh, he discovered quicksand, making it very difficult to build here's my point. If you don't build on bedrock, you're in big trouble. That's it. Um, The subterranean topography is the key to what happens above the surface of the ground. And I think that's true of our lives even more than it's true of a physical building. So the question is, what's bedrock? Well, Uh, I think it's at least three things, and that's what I want to talk about. I think it's core beliefs, I think it's core values, and I think it's core vision. Let let me take them in order. Um, We have a statement of beliefs on our website at theaterchurch.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. And when you do, what you'll notice is that there is a little... Preamble. Uh, in the 16th century, there was a little bit of theological controversy happening in Germany, and there was a theologian with a wonderful name that I really enjoy saying, uh, Rupertus Meldenius, um, who helped bring unity to the church with one rallying cry. Now, this has stood the test of time because it's still good uh, 400 years later. Meldenius said, In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Now, I I know that theologically where you draw the line between essential and non-essential is pretty critical, but but here was the point. Um, There are some theological controversies that really are not a litmus test when it comes to a relationship with Christ and your eternal destiny. Are they important? Absolutely. But they're non-essential to salvation. And so um, we should have a little bit of liberty uh, in those areas. Now, when it comes to essentials, um, we better be on the same page. Um, But in all things, let's show love to one another. Let me tell you what I believe is essential, if you will, what is bedrock theology. The early church had a creed that was three words, Jesus is Lord. That was it. Um, What we believe at National Community Church is that uh, Jesus lived a sinless life, fully God, fully man, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death on the cross bearing our sin, and was raised again on the third day. That's essential. Uh, That is a litmus test, if you will. Uh, He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other name under heaven given unto men by which you must be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, again, three words, it's the creed of the early church, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's bedrock. In 1962, uh, the Swiss theologian Karl Barth uh, did a lecture tour in the United States. He's regarded by many uh, in the Protestant tradition as the greatest theologian of the 20th century. Uh, was on the cover of Time magazine, which is saying something. April 20, 1962. Well, one of his um, was the University of Chicago uh, at Rockefeller Chapel um, right across from my dorm my freshman year uh, at the University of Chicago. I wasn't there in 1962, a little bit later than that. And a student asked Karl Barth, um, perhaps the most brilliant theological mind on the planet at that time, if he could summarize his entire wor- life's work in a single sentence. Um Well, uh, not easy to do for anybody, but Barth, prolific author, 600 published works. His magnum opus, Church Dogmatics, was written over a 35-year span. Uh, It's 13 volumes, 8,000 pages. And you're going to ask him to summarize his life's work in one sentence oh, I love it, and I love his answer. He went old school. Um, He cited the words of a song that he learned at his mother's knee. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's pretty good. That's bedrock. When all else fails, you need to be able to fall back on something. You know, I think Romans 8 might say it best. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's bedrock. That's Romans schist, if you will. Now, I have what I call fallback positions. When all else fails, uh, I fall back on these promises. Do you have some fallback uh, positions? Uh, Here are a few of mine. uh, Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart a man plans his course, but God orders his footsteps. You know what? Sometimes when I feel a little lost, a little disoriented, I need to remind myself that God's ordering my footsteps, he's setting me up. Philippians 1.6, he began a good work and you will carry it to completion. I believe that. Um, Ephesians 2.10, we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared for us in advance. In Ephesians 3.20, he's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. Us. Those are fallback. Those are bedrock promises for me. What, what are your core beliefs? Let me just say this. If you have not surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that's where it starts. That's where this spiritual journey begins. That's how you build your life on the rock. Let me talk about core values. The message uh, paraphrases verse 24 this way. Uh, "These words are not mere additions to your life. they are foundation words. I like that. They're foundation words, words to build your life on. Now, there's no question here that, uh, that Jesus is talking about the word. Um, and Jeremiah 1:12 says that the Lord is watching over His word to perform it. And so uh, more important than anything else is that you build your life on the Word of God. Uh, That's the foundation for us as believers. But let me ask the question, do you have some foundation words? Uh, I think um, our family has four foundation words, four values that uh, we sure would love for us to define us as a family. Um, Let me tell you what they are, Uh, humility, generosity, gratitude, and courage. Uh, Many years ago, went through a process of trying to discern uh, who are we? What are we about? What's our bedrock? What are our core values as a family? Now, uh, I promise you, we are works in progress, Um, but, but humility, listen, if you stay humble and you stay hungry, there's nothing that God cannot do in you or through you. I believe that. That word humility, man, we're striving after it. Uh, generosity. You know what? Joy is found on the giving side of life. And, and good news, you can't outgive give God. Um, generosity is a foundation word for our family. Um, gratitude. Uh, man, my goal this year was a thousand gratitudes um, inspired by uh, Wonderful book, Thousand Gifts" by Ann Voskamp. I'm on 561, um, so I am a little more than halfway. Got to catch up some. But almost every day, what I try to do is find something that I'm grateful for. Gratitude is a core value. It's a foundation word for me. And then and then courage. And you know what? I need I need a little bit more work in this area. Um, if you said what what did the Lord show you uh, over sabbatical? Um, well, there there were a few things, um, but I think one of them uh, was this wonderful moment with Mary and Martha. And you remember Martha's so busy making preparations, uh, you know, a little little uh, nervous and scattered, and and uh, and Jesus says something interesting to her. And I like the King James version. He says. Thou art careful. And uh, one of my moments on sabbatical is I felt like the Lord said, Thou art careful. You know, what? There, there was a day where courage for me was kind of facing the fear of failure. And, uh, and not that I don't still experience that, but I think um, that when you experience a measure of success in something, that if you aren't careful, uh, you can begin to play it safe and you kind of rest on what has already happened instead of of continuing to take risks and stepping out in faith. And and I felt like the Lord exhorted me. And so uh, pray for me that uh, I'll have a little bit more courage. If you don't have foundation words, do some excavation, a year ago, I did a life plan. Uh, that was wonderful. Helped me identify core values, core convictions. Um, but you don't need to do a life plan. You know what? A, a little bit of reading, a little bit of praying, maybe a little bit of retreating, it will go a long way in helping you discover those foundation words. Finally, let me talk about core vision. But let me talk about it as a church. Uh, we have some core values Uh, Everything is an experiment. Love people when they least expect it and least deserve it. Pray like it depends on God. Work like it depends on you. Um, We have some core convictions. The church ought to be the most creative place on the planet. Uh, Church belongs in the middle of the marketplace. Um, uh, That God will bless us in proportion to how we give to missions and how we care for the poor uh, in our city. Those are bedrock convictions for us. But we also have a core vision. Uh, We have a 2020 vision, and that is uh, to have 20 expressions as a church um, by the year 2020. Now, some of those are campuses. We have seven campuses currently. Currently. Um, it might be a cafe, a place where the church and community can cross paths, like Ebenezer's on Capitol Hill or Prokterk uh, in Berlin, Germany. Uh, some some good news: uh, construction uh, fences are up around uh, the Dream Center. We are ready to go. Um, yeah, here we go. Um, uh, that Dream Center uh, is an expression of National Community Church. Well, this weekend, uh, I want to make a pretty significant announcement. If you're a little bit surprised, hey, so was I. Uh, I got back and uh, first day found out that we're launching an eighth campus. Now, it, wasn't, it wasn't a total, total uh, surprise, Um, but, uh, I'm so excited. Listen, you know, you know what, this is bedrock for us. You know, Jesus said, um, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, the church is called to play offense. And one of the ways that we do that is we continue to launch new campuses and new communities where we can reach more people with the good news of the gospel. And so, uh, Maybe, maybe a little drum roll. Can we do that? A little drum roll? I don't know if you can do it with your tongue or with your, at all seven campuses. Come on. Come on. I want to hear it. Um, we're going to launch our eighth campus in North DC at the Echo Stage. Uh, it, is, um, it is one of the largest music venues in the city, a little bit larger than 930 Club where we sometimes meet. And uh, I think we've got some pictures. Can we do a little show and tell? Um, We've got some pictures, uh, I think. And uh, there it is. Um, I think that's one of their concerts. Kind of looks like a worship night, though. A little bit uh, prophetic there. Um, and uh, listen, the, the location. Maybe we can pull up a map or another picture. But uh, um, here's the deal. Um, two things about the location. Because um, I don't want anybody to be be surprised. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, there's a marijuana dispenser right across the street. Um, and a gentleman's club right next to it. Um, we think that being in the middle of the marketplace probably means, like, right there. Um, like, that would be a great place for us to be. Um, so uh, don't let that scare anybody away. Um, and, uh, and it is so strategically located right off of Route 50 New York in Bladensburg. and Bladensburg. And so you've got Brooklyn, Um, you've got Fort Lincoln, you've got even Chevrolet, I mean, a nice little drive coming in, Route 50, and then, of course, Capitol Hill. And so um, uh, it it is gonna be a wonderful place for us to see what God is going to do next. I wanna let you know uh, that we have a wonderful campus pastor, uh, Terrence Sutton and his wife, Kate, and their three children uh, will be leading this launch. And I want to give you a couple of key dates. I know there's a lot of information, okay, but it's on the website. We'll, we'll email uh, and uh, we'll keep you updated. But a couple of key dates. Um, October 18th, believe it or not, is when we uh, look to launch. So it's around the corner, a couple months. Um, we have information meetings, uh, August 30 uh, and September 13th. And then one of the things we're going to try to pull off is a worship night, hopefully September 20th, and we'll let you know, because we just want to get into the space, invite everybody and say, hey, let's, let's throw down some worship and consecrate uh, this place to God. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Now, we've done this uh, seven times before, but here's the drill. I want to ask everybody who's a part of this church to pray and to pray this prayer, Lord, Do you want me to be a part of this launch or do you want me to stay right where I am? Now, for some of you, God's going to say, I want you to stay right where you are. And that might mean even redoubling uh, your commitment to serve, to be a part of a campus. And that's wonderful. Uh, Others of you, God might tap you on the shoulder. Now, listen to me. Don't let distance or geography be a deterrent. Pray about it. Get a sense of what God wants you to do and uh, pray about it and and be part of those information meetings. And and we're believing that God's going to bring together uh, a wonderful core group and we're going to launch a campus to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, Wow. First week back. Uh, Okay. Hey, verse 24, give me uh, three more minutes and we're done. Verse 24 says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In the Hebrew language, there is no distinction between knowing and doing. There were not two different words for these things. Knowing is doing and doing is knowing. If you don't do it, you don't know it. And that's critical as you're listening to what Jesus is saying. In other words, don't show me your transcript. I don't want to know what you know. Show me your resume. James, faith without works is dead. Do not be hearers of the word only, but doers of it. Listening without doing is called disobedience. And my great fear uh, as a pastor is that If all you do is listen to a sermon, but you don't do anything with it, all that's happened is you've been educated further beyond the level of your obedience already. And and Jesus isn't going to say, well, listen, good and faithful servant. No, 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 no. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Um, Let me just throw this out there. Okay, we're getting very practical. Um, A dream without a to-do list is called a wish list. Whatever it is you want to accomplish for the kingdom, you got to have a to-do list. You got to do something about it. Now, on April 19th, I preached a message, one little yes. I don't remember much of the message, but I think I said something like, you can't finish what you don't start. And the next day, an NCCer emailed me from one of our campuses, said that he had a dream that was 14 years, two months old but hadn't done anything about it and something about that message, uh, challenged him to take a step of faith and almost as an act of accountability, emailed me and said, you know what? I've had a book idea, 14 years, two months, and and I'm gonna write it. I said, go for it. Um, And then I went on sabbatical. And, and a time or two, I thought to myself, like, I wonder, I prayed for him, and I kind of wondered be, because it was such a defining deal. And, and so um, one day this last week, I was actually thinking about it, just, man, I wonder, wonder what happened. I think I need to email him. And, and I open up, and, and sure enough, in my inbox is an email uh, from him and, with an attachment, um, an attachment with a finished manuscript, 49,000 words. I was like, awesome. Um, You know what? He didn't just listen to it. He did something about it. G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. (sighs) Quick challenge. Thomas Shepard, who actually... Uh, helped found Harvard College in 1636, Uh, had a little catchphrase. I read his biography this summer. I loved it. It's old English, but it's good. He said, make a new experiment. Make a new experiment. Here's what he said. He said, um, make a new experiment with secret prayer. Then come forth from your secret prayer and make immediate experiment on more love more patience and more consideration for other men. Here was the the backdrop. He said, why do people experiment in the sciences, but they don't experiment with scripture? Here's kind of my last point, almost done. If you think of a spiritual discipline as a spiritual discipline, it might seem like discipline. It might be more helpful to think of it as a spiritual experiment. Try a prayer experiment. Listen, pray for a person or pray for a situation for a week or a month or 40 days and and see what God does. Try a fasting experiment. Try a reading experiment. Maybe during this series, Luke's gospel has more parables than than the others. Maybe read through Luke's gospel. And when you come to one of those verses, one of those stories, turn it into an experiment. Maybe it's a tithing experiment. Try it for six months and, and see what God does. Or just turn a verse into an experiment. Go the extra mile. Try experimenting with it. Um, Pray for those who persecute you. Try an experiment praying for those people. Um, Pretty simple. Make a new experiment and let's see what God does. Let's pray. Father, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen.